Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. Verse by verse in the letter of Paul to the brothers in Galatia. So the letter of Paul to the Galatians. And today we are still in chapter 2. We're not in rush. This is our fifth message. And I'm so glad that God is, you know, giving us the opportunity to rediscover, to find the beauty, to be in awe once again with the majesty, with the glory and amazing aspect of the grace of God. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, just like Pastor Tulio encouraged us today to pray for a mature request, I pray for revelation. That's, that's the utmost, most important prayer we can have. Open the eyes of our hearts to see your gospel with revelation, a spirit of insight. Open our minds and hearts to receive today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. This is a conflict of giants. We have Paul and Peter with a disagreement. And what a disagreement. That is historical. We don't see this record in the book of Acts. And surely we're not going to see the letters of Peter because he was the one that was admonished. So he probably gonna don't remember that moment very well. Uh, but Paul made sure that he wrote the reason why he stood in public in front of Peter. And that's the text we're going to read today. Because I believe by the grace of God... We can resolve all conflicts. Grace allows us. Grace empowers us to resolve conflicts. That's the title of my message. Grace resolve any conflict. Say a good amen. Chapter 2 verse 11. But when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I oppose him to his face because he stood condemned. Antioch was the church of the known Jew, the Gentiles. Paul, Barnabas, and other brothers had established their ministry in that local church. And now this great apostle, Peter, one of the pillars of Christianity, comes to visit and he stood condemned. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James... James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, I have to say that this James here is not one of the 12 apostles that walked with Jesus because the first James were uh, martyred, was killed. But this James here is actually Jesus' brother. Okay, And uh, it seems that he got saved after Jesus' resurrection and he became uh, the bishop, the leader, the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He was eating with me. Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, the conduct was not in step 
with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Now, the first thing we have to understand is that conflicts are inevitable, like it's part of life. It was said that if you express your opinion and the other person does not reply with an counter opinion, there's only two possibilities. Number one, that person is not thinking. Number two, that person is dead. Because when you express your opinion, conflicts will come up. It's inevitable. It's part of life. Now, the problem here is that Paul is not going against the person of Peter, but what is he was portraying what he was displaying through his conduct. It's not about who is right, but what is right. Let me repeat that so you can get and post in your social media. It's not about what, who is right or wrong, but what is true and right. Are you guys with me? So Paul is sued for what is right. Now, when we live in a generation like ours, that social media uh, determines uh, who actually influences society, and we have this fanboy and fangirl attitude toward ministries and, and preachers out there, we're going to have uh, the problem that the church of current had. Oh, how dare Paul stood against my favorite preacher, Peter. How dare you say something against the guy that I follow in social media, in my YouTube channel or whatever. These people, the fanboy and fangirl attitude, they are also under the law. Because the mindset of a fan person is that if a minister, if a preacher is anointed, is blessed, has a great ministry, it is maybe because that person fulfills all the criteria, all the holiness requirements. And that person is so consecrated, so holy that she or he deserves to be blessed. And because now you are comparing such and such people, you are declaring that maybe that person is better because they behave better. But Paul, in his own testimony, recognized that he was one born out of time. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he says, I am an apostle, but I was born out of time. There is nothing in myself. It's not about my academic, academic achievements. It's not about my background. Actually, I know that I'm standing along with the other apostles solely because of the grace of God. Verse 10 in the cha same chapter, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The problem with People that follows and, you know, uh, kind of gets, you know, idolizing ministers out there is that they think, the, they think under the mindset of the law. But Paul makes clear for us, if someone is blessed, if someone has an anointing and a ministry that is fruitful, maybe it's just because that person is the most undeserving one. Maybe that person is the most weak one. Maybe that person has the most terrible English in town. And that person, by the grace of God's soul, is able to stand in a stage and preach the gospel. Just because of the grace. Now, this chapter teaches us, this passage teaches us how to have a good conflict. 
Because not all conflicts are sinful or in bad necessarily. Actually, some conflicts will even express that the relationship is a lie. Sometimes good conflicts just express that the marriage is alive, that the church is actually happening, that the brothers are growing. And now that in their research of the Bible, they have questions. So conflict is not bad in itself. But the problem is when everybody is right. It says that in a village, in a small village, two men got in a very bad disagreement. They were really, really uh, uh, in conflict. So they said, you know what, let's look for the wisest man in town. So the first guy came and he presented his case. And the wise man said to the first man, you know what, you are absolutely right. Now the second night, the second man came and he brought up his version of the case. And the wise man, after listening to him, said, you know what, you are absolutely right. Now the wise man's wife Listen to the case. She got mad at him and charged him. How you said to the two men that they were absolutely right. Both cases are totally different. They cannot be both absolutely right. And the wise man thoughtfully answered to his wife. You know what? You're absolutely right. Because in this generation that everybody is right is so hard to find reconciliation and settlement. But that's not what we are into. Conflicts are part of life. And God wants us to have a good fight. Not for our case. But for the truth of the gospel. What is right. Based on the Bible standards. Couples that always avoid confrontation. Are heading to a greater pain and a greater conflict further down the road. Sometimes it's better to resolve the conflict as fast as possible. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. Some of you guys know this verse very well. Be angry, but you don't need to sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And the instruction is pretty simple. It says that try to resolve the conflict as fast as possible. Even before dusk. Try to resolve the matter. But don't forget. Maybe it's not the right dusk. Today maybe it's not the best day to touch the subject. Remember tomorrow we have a dusk again. We have sunset again. And maybe tomorrow we can talk. But please don't push so much further. Don't procrastinate because it might rotten the process and the problem. And then you're going to actually have to cut off that small little problem that could be resolved. To be honest, Paul presses even deeper. He says, try to resolve as fast as you can, verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. It says that because Saul, in his envy and jealousy toward David, never settling the problem in his heart, and because he delayed to the next day, it says that... The king of Israel, once anointed and chosen by God, now was demon-possessed. We don't want that in our marriage. We don't want that in our church, in our life groups. Paul is not carnal. Paul is not lacking self-control. It's not that Paul is moved in anger or envy toward Peter. Paul and Peter were great men of God, apostles of Jesus, supernaturally used by God. 
As a matter of fact, the book of Acts is divided in two moments. Until chapter 15, we have the ministry, the growth of the influence of Peter. From chapter 15 on, we have the ministry of Paul. The Christianity was pretty much determined in doctrine, in teaching, and in writings, pretty much inspired by Paul and Peter. But why did Paul resist Peter face to face in this situation in Antioch? Paul did not because Peter was defending or believing a wrong doctrine, but because he had a wrong conduct. Peter was following the conduct of the Judaizers. We heard about these guys. These people were teaching that was not enough just to believe in Jesus Christ solely by grace through faith to, in order to be saved. But you had to have some sort of external sign or external appearance. Peter, the great apostle, the guy that first in Acts chapter 10 had the revelation that the gospel is for everyone who has a believing heart, he fell in that error. He mistaken. That is a risk that we all have. You are being preached, you are being taught about the grace of God for a couple of years here in Vine Church. But how many of us is still stumbling into the wrong conduct in the legalistic approach? The reason why Peter is stumbled might give us the same reason why we also stumble. And the text is very clear. Galatians chapter 2, verse 12 again. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew back and separated himself. For what? For fearing, fearing the circumcision party. The circumcision party. So one day, this group of Jewish Pharisees arrived in Antioch, the church of the Gentiles. They were Christians, but they were living as Jews. It seems that they were delegates by James. But the same group resisted Peter once. In the account of Acts chapter 11, right after Peter coming from Cornelius' house, after uh, preaching the gospel, after praying for them, after baptizing them, after laying hands and letting these Gentile people receiving the Holy Spirit, and more, after Peter sitting on the table and having a good Gentile meal, in other words, foods that probably Peter never had eaten before, like shrimp, like a good ham, he never ate it before, but now Cornelius offering the table and he ate it like a good guest could eat a different food. Now, the people in Jerusalem heard about that. And the great uh, Peter, the apostle, comes in Jerusalem church, Acts chapter 11, verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Here's a clue of what is going on in Peter's mind now in Antioch. Maybe he was afraid once again to suffer slandering and criticism. Again, in a society like ours, that social media and the opinion of others matters so much, how easy can we fall in the same trap that Peter fell? Verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men 
and ate with them. Like that's, that was the, the problem. Like they were concerned at the fact that Peter preached to the Gentiles and now we're even eating with them. This group existed at the beginning of the church and is still showing up here and there in our time. What that group teach? What is, what is the content of the belief of this group? Acts chapter 15 verse, 11, verse 1 says, But when some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, have an exterior sign of your faith, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, one of the customs of Moses was that it was not proper for a Jewish Christian to share the table with an uncircumcised believer. For them, they want the same synagogue uh, division. So every synagogue at the time of the apostles had two chambers, one for the real, genuine, accredited Jews, pure blood, Abrahamic lineage, and the outcast. The Gentiles, yes, they are God-fearing people, but you know what? They are Gentiles. They have to sit separated from us. If Paul did not stand for that case, maybe in our churches we're going to have always two auditoriums everywhere in the world. One only for the Jews, the genuine, real spiritual ones, descendants of Abraham, and us, the outcasts. Praise God for Paul's courage to stand right now. With this great man of God, a great apostle, but the titles really didn't scare or intimidate Paul for the sake of the truth of the gospel. Our guys follow what I'm saying. But what does this group teach us now? And I make this question because this group is still existing. We might sometimes, like Peter, sign up to be part of their life group. I'm sorry, for their clique, for their whatever. I don't want to be part of them, but sometimes because of fear of men, because of the fear of criticism, because of fear of whatever people's opinion, I might fall into the same trap. They preach today, the real Christians dress like this and like that. Real Christians is speak like this and like that. Oh, if you're a real man of God, you're never going to have a tattoo. Or in some cases, the other way is that if you're really man of God, you should have a tattoo. Because don't deceive yourself. There is these other Judaizers too. That with the appearance of something external said, Oh, you know what? You have to dress in this and that. Now, maybe you are portraying just the, 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 the typical religious person in your mind. But maybe you are as religious as the other group. Real man should cut the hair like that. Real woman of God never dresses like that. In the nonsense, endless list goes on and on. This group is legalist people. They, they preach the legalism. But what is legalism, pastor? Legalism is the belief that being a true Christian requires adherence to an external set of standards. Now, I was a legalistic Christian, so I know what I'm speaking now. It can be from the set of clothes you dress, or from a specific way you pray and relate to God. 
You never speak to God in a certain words as God is going to be surprised with our vocabulary. And we, we create this, this set of rules in our minds based on our own preferences. And now we want to impute our preferences with the hello and, 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 and this sanctimonian language, language toward others. It is used as a checklist to measure the spiritual growth of someone. Oh, if you're really going to grow in your maturity, you dress like that, you speak like that, you cut your hair like that, and you do this and that. And like, it creates some sort of a, a, a track of your spirituality. And you know the result of this lifestyle. Legalism lifestyle will only lead in two possibilities. Number one, which is more common, life of condemnation. A life of defeat. Because in the end of the day, the nonsense, endless list of rules and regulations, you never fit. Like, it's very hard. Whenever you think you got there, there's one extra item to fulfill. So you feel defeated. So it's not a surprise that in America we have a pandemic of backslidden Christians that are so upset and they say, I can't be Christian so hard. But the second result of this mindset, which I think is worst, is pride, arrogance. Now, in your internal list of rules and regulations, these, these moralism laws that you hold to yourself, you really think that you have fulfilled it all. And now you can really pray and things are going to happen. You can really seek God and the blessings are going to come to you. So please, let us not be a church that turn our preferences as a religious demand to others. This will surely be a point of conflict. And this is so deceptive because we can fall in the same trap. Now we are completely sure that we are the most passionate defenders of the truth. We know what righteousness really means. What a real Christian should live. In reality... We're doing nothing different from those who claim that a real Christian should not cut a hair in such style. And to be a little bit more extreme, we're not different than those that think that if you don't hold the rattlesnake in your hand and don't die, you're not a real Christian. Is there any fear in our midst that is being posed by external religiosity? When Peter arrived in Antioch, he was eating with the Gentile Christians but he felt intimidated when people from Jerusalem arrived. Now remember, Peter was the guy that opened the door for the Gentiles. Peter feared. Fear what? He, he was afraid of being judged by eating with the Gentiles. He was maybe afraid of losing his apostolic influence. I don't know. Maybe he was afraid that, to be criticized, just like we had seen. Now St. Peter, who denied the Lord... In a bonfire in front of a group of people and, and said to the servant, I don't know Jesus. I'm not his disciple. Now he's afraid once again to stand for what he believes. And even today, the fear of what others might think about us is often the reason for so many unnecessary conflicts inside of our house and inside of our churches. Now, to say, okay, pastor, but come on, Paul could be uh, more diplomatic. Like he, why he was so hard at Peter? Like he could be more, you know, easy approach, you know, call Peter aside and talk differently. 
Why was so important to Paul to stand? Because there was a terrible result. What was the result for that wrong conduct? Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Obvious. It's Peter. The guy that was in the Transfiguration Mountain was Peter, the guy that was the inner circle relationship with the Messiah. It's Peter acting like that, so it's better I'm just doing just like Peter. So even Barnabas, come on, you are my dude, you are my friend. Barnabas, we are the pastors here in Antioch, and you are joined that. But probably Barnabas felt, you know, uh, uh, um, pressure by the influence of Peter. He was led astray by their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is one of the terrible results. Hypocrisy is this pretending, making a show. You're masking yourself just to pretend be something that it really you are not. A pastor was asked how he raised his three boys and got them all involved in ministry. The pastor said, before I tried to play the pastor image, I showed my boys what was to be a real Christian. No gigs, no gimmicks, just genuine Christianity. What Peter and Barnabas were doing was pretense and hypocrisy. They act like that probably to avoid conflict with the Judaizers. Maybe they were concerned with the conscience of the Jewish Christians at the time. Maybe Peter intended to help the Jewish brothers in some way. He was not act, like acting like in a uh, um, prejudice and, 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 and racism against the Gentiles. But his conduct was expressing that message. Maybe one Gentile brother would think, yes, yesterday Peter were eating our shrimp and our ham and sitting together with us. But now that the real Christians came from Jerusalem, we from Antioch, the outcasts, we cannot sit with them. I think that's the standard, right? Peter was acting contrary to the belief he held. Not because he agreed with the Judaizers. He simply didn't want them to think less of him. Now here's the, the way Paul we're going to resolve the conflict. And I'm going to give you three ways to resolve conflicts with the grace of God. Galatians chapter 2 verse 14. When I, but, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Everybody says the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? Number one, stand with the truth of the gospel. Paul recognized that Peter was an apostle of Jesus, that he was being appointed as an apostle before him. Paul always honored Peter through the book of Galatians, and you see his writing confirming Peter's teaching, and you know the Peter's teaching. You can see Peter's teaching in 1st and 2nd Peter. You can see Peter's teaching in the Gospel of Mark. That then became pretty much the basic script for Luke and also for Matthew. So we know what Peter believes. But now he was acting as he did not believe. This position, this honor toward Peter's authority 
did not stop Paul from confronting Peter. And I love this because this just, you know, dismystifying takes this, I, uh, this idolatry approach that so many people have toward spiritual leaders and pastors. Now, I don't take decisions on our church um, as my church. As I just said, it's our church. I'm surrounding myself intentionally with elderly people that are wisest and more experienced. And they can protect our church from me, from myself, from my mistakes. Because as Peter, the great apostle, I don't dare to believe in myself all the time. I have problems as well. So we always make decisions as a presbyter, as a group of experience in the ministry people. It's not a matter of who is right, but it's a matter of what is right. It is a matter of what is true. Now, for that, consider really to know the Word of God. It's not a problem for us to exercise spiritual discernment, but our spiritual discernment for whatever matter of the conflict should be always balanced with the truth of the gospel. So be wise. Make sure that you have prayed and sought the biblical basis for your argument. Make sure you are not acting on something that is a matter of personal preference. Make sure, please, that you are not arguing against the grace of God. Again, it's not because Paul had a stronger temper or did not hold himself rebuking Peter publicly. Or that Paul was a carnal leader and saw in Peter now visiting the Antioch church. You know what? Peter's coming here maybe because he wants to take my influence. He wants just to preach to my flock. Uh, Peter is my rival. God forbid to see this great man of God in such a natural and, 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 and low perspective. Paul acted this way because he was concerned about the truth of the gospel. Again, there was no personal interest here. There's no personal feelings. What was at stake was the truth that sinners, just like you and I, are accepted by God's grace alone. What was at stake here is that the gospel, the truth, that we are only justified by grace through faith. In the perfect work on the cross, without any human merit, any human background or inheritance. It doesn't matter if you are from the lineage of the patriarchs, or if you have blue blood or white skin or whatever color hair you have. It matters if you believe in the message of the gospel. Number two, how to resolve conflicts with grace. What was wronged? In public shall be corrected in public. And what was in private should be dealt with in private. Yes, chapter 2, verse 14, Paul clearly said that he stood before Peter, before them all, openly, publicly. Why? Because Peter's wrong attitude was public and caused a public problem. He should also be public exhorted. That is why Paul did that in the presence of everybody. 
It is not that Paul, again, was wanting to expose Peter to shame, but because the situation was publicly displayed, Paul had to stand publicly. Again, conflicts are not necessarily sinful, but they will create a problem if they are not resolved. The possible result of Peter's wrong posture would have been a permanent field between Gentile Christianity and Jewish Christianity. So the courage of Paul saved us to embrace Jewish, Arabic, Brazilians, Venezuelans, Latinos, and we all can share the same faith all together. So pray and ask God to change your heart and to show you a loving way to exhort your brother or sister. Before going to a confrontation, study to know the truth. Study to understand the truth. A scripture is like this two-edged sword, able to convince any mind. But I have to be honest, there are people that like to use the two-edged sword, word of God, as a surgeon. They are precise and they resolve the matter. But unfortunately, there are people that are used just like a butcher. They cut heads and arms and limbs and don't matter what, they just speak the truth. But Jesus came to speak truth with grace. So that's how I'm going to summarize this point here. Remember the four M's. Usually we say the three M's, but I added one more because the truth of the gospel it's important. Number one, consider the manner you speak. Number two, consider the moment you are speaking. Number three, consider the motivation. Are you inspired just for personal preferences? And number four, what is your matter? What is the content of your argument? What is the matter? Manner, moment, motivation, and matter. Number three, how to resolve conflict with grace. Number three, focus on the reconciliation. I need to say that because there are people that wants the conflict just for the sake of the conflict. They are busy body. Like they, they, they want to throw the, the matchstick in the fire and they are not willing to burn until the end. Like they just want the fight for the sake of argument, but they leave the problem. Like they just create, you know, uh, polemic and controversial questions for nothing. Like they really don't want to know the answer. I remember a college friend once that did that to me and I got so mad. Like he was creating all these, you know, hard to answer questions for a Christian. And I was, come on, my, my background, I'm a physicist. So I have good answer. And I was just sharp answering here and there. But at the end, I noticed his spirit. And I said, oh, wait a minute. By the way, his name was Raphael, just like my name. I said, come on, uh, Raphael, are you asking this to genuinely get the answer? Or are you hiding yourself behind the cloud of questions you are making? Because if you don't want to really get the answer to be convinced, you're going to stop this argument right now. Number three, focus on the reconciliation. There are people that want to be troublemakers but we as church are called to be peacemakers Romans 15 verse 7 therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God Paul stood with respect and honor 
toward Peter because he was standing for the truth of the gospel. And I end wondering, did Paul in an irreconcilable way offend Peter? Did Peter accept Paul's admonition, rebuke? Was Paul later on considered by Peter as an apostle? We know that Peter had no personal feelings toward Paul. But I'm going to prove that to you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Showing that when we act in grace, focusing on the reconciliation, there is healing. There is possibility for your marriage to stand together. There is a chance for our church to be stronger together. And Peter says in his letter... 2 Peter chapter 3, 15, and count the patient of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. What, like, he called beloved Paul? Beloved brother Paul, not the mad, crazy Paul. Not the easy to spark Paul. No, no, our beloved brother Paul. Peter did not hold grudges, resentment. He considered Paul a brother. According to the wisdom given to him, verse 16, as he does in all his letters. So Peter is endorsing Paul's teaching and saying, his letters, I read it all. I know what he's teaching. I know what he's writing to you when he speaks in them of these matters. The matter of grace. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. It's interesting because people try to label grace as just like the initial teaching of Christianity. But if the Apostle Peter said that grace is not an easy thing to understand, let me say something very important. I don't know if you're going to be able to catch, but I'm going to say fast. Grace is Jesus, my friend. If an eternal life is to know Him, probably going to pass the, internal, the entire eternity knowing about grace. It is hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter endorsed Paul's writings as a scripture. There are only two men in the Bible that had the honor, the privilege to see, while still alive, their writings as a scripture. One was Moses, and another one was Paul. And why? Because Moses brought the law, but the gospel of justification by grace through faith was explained open up through this great man of God, Paul, and thank God for his courage. Confrontation with the truth in the spirit of humility, prayer, and grace. We're not going to divide us, but we're going to make us stronger and one. Let us all stand up this morning and pray together to walk in the spirit of grace and help us to resolve.